I'm Jody Whites, Results and Success Coach, and these podcasts teach you how to make significant changes to live your dreams, make a positive impact on the world, and drop your regrets. It's time for you to get spectacular. Welcome back to Your Spectacular Life. I'm Jody Whites, your business and professional coach to make your life nothing less than spectacular. I'm so happy that I am with Tan Pham today. Hi, Tam. Hi, Jody. Thanks for having me here today. Oh my gosh, Tan, that, that's the great thing, sir. I'm looking, thanks for being on and I'm super looking forward to our conversation. Let me tell you a little bit about Tan. Tan Pham is the founder of Asian Efficiency, a productivity training company where they help people become more productive at work and in life. He started Asian Efficiency in 2011 and has helped over 16,000 clients. The blog attracts over 1 million readers annually, and their podcast, The Productivity Show, is the number one productivity podcast with over 12 million downloads. Tan has been featured in Forbes, Fast Company and Inc. magazines as a thought leader, and he gives keynotes across the world on productivity, efficiency, and time management. Wow, Tan, those are impressive stats. <laughs> um, Thank you. And I am going to be curious about uh, how you built that because we are all about having people, you know, listen to us, consider us thought leaders, and also be able to use a lot of the things that we all talk about to make their lives better. So tell me a little bit about the pre-16,000 clients that you got. Where, um, where were you and had you always wanted to be a a productivity training company. I mean, was that always first in mind? No, not at all. In fact, I never thought I would get into this line of work at all. Uh, I ended up dropping out of college after two and a half years. And I had a mentor in my life that kind of showed me the ropes around business and life coaching. He was a life coach himself in Los Angeles. And uh, I decided to drop out of school because I was learning so much under him that I thought, mm. you know what, I could always go back to school later, but this opportunity to work with this guy might be life-changing and once in a lifetime. So I said, you know what, let's go for it and see what happens. And obviously my parents weren't very happy when I dropped out of school because <laughs> right. they uh, they gave up a lot to be able to afford for me to go to school. But I said, uh, you know what, I'm going to give it a try and see where it goes. And uh, after about a year and a half, um, I got a letter saying that my visa expired because I grew up in the Netherlands and oh, I was okay. in Los Angeles uh, to go to school. But uh, because I wasn't enrolled, my student visa expired. So I had to leave the country. And so I was kind of in limbo because I wasn't quite sure what to do with my life moving forward. So I ended up in Bangkok in Thailand out of Goodness. all places 
because uh, I was scared to go back to my parents' home uh, after dropping out of school. So <laughs> I said, you know what? I'm going to go somewhere else for a little bit and figure out what I wanted to do next. And so as I was living in Thailand, uh, this is around 2008, 2009, um, I was trying to figure out, okay, what's my next move? And so I started a blog uh, in 2010 called AsianEfficiency.com. And I was just kind of like writing it as a joke to share with people uh, what I was doing, what I was learning, all the things I've learned from my mentor and when it comes to business, productivity, time management. And I've studied a lot of productivity around that time because I was forced to learn it because the company I was working uh, for was growing really fast. And I was trying to mm. figure out how to keep up with the high demand. And yeah. so I went to a lot of and, different and workshops. Interestingly enough, um, why Asian efficiency? Why not just productivity, um, you know, for all people, just out of curiosity? Yeah, there was a, a time at work where I was so productive at work that uh, my coworkers, who oftentimes were Caucasian, said, wow, Tan is so productive. Like, what is going on? That must be some Asian efficiency going on there. <laughs> and I said, oh, you know what? That's a really funny name. And uh, it's kind of like a funny stereotype in many yeah. ways. And so I said, you know what? I'm just going to register that domain name and uh, just go with it. And so I just registered the domain name, not knowing at the time that I was going to use it. But uh, a year later, when I was in Thailand, uh, I ended up you know, saying, you know what, uh, let me just use this domain name and, and start a blog because I've never blogged before. And that was kind of like the thing back yeah. then. Yeah. And so I uh, said, you know what, I'm going to write a blog post every single week and answer mm -hmm. the most commonly asked questions that I get from my friends and family around goal setting and productivity and time management. And so I did that for about six, seven, eight months. And around that time, I started to get a, uh, a lot of traffic and visibility from other websites. So the New York Times, uh, there was another popular blog called Lifehacker at that time, uh, covered my ideas and blog posts a lot. And so I started to get all these eyeballs from people that mm. were outside of my social circle and friends and family circle. Yeah. And did you and so, do anything to build that, to get them to look you up? I mean, did you send them emails saying, hey, I'd love to write an article based on my website or blog? No, not at all. Uh, I just made a commitment to write every single week. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess they found me through Google searches. So mm. when people were searching on Google for certain keywords or ideas or things that they were interested in or trying to figure out, uh, some of my blog posts would end up appearing in the search results. And that's how they find me. Uh, and then ended up contacting me and I got so much traffic to my website that I said, wow, this is amazing. Like it seems to really resonate with people. And uh, a lot of people start emailing in saying, Hey Tan, I really love your contents. Is there a way we can work together or do you have coaching or workshops or courses? And I Great. said, Oh no, this is all for free. Uh, this is wow. just a passion project. Right. So it, it really sounds like your listeners pushed you into the next stage or your readers essentially your fan club pushed you into the next stage of all right i'm going to maybe i can make a business out of that is is that what you were thinking yes exactly so originally it was never meant to be a business uh, but I was just very passionate about the topic itself. And I just was very passionate about sharing my ideas and things that I've learned. And hopefully it would shortcut some time for others to be able to pick up 
the ideas that I've had to uncover uh, due to hard work and trial and error and experimenting a lot. And that seemed to really resonate with people. And so after getting a bunch of more emails, I said, you know what, maybe I could turn this into a business because there's just so much demand for it. And uh, I launched my first course, which uh, happens about a few months later, uh, about sleeping better because sleep is so important for productivity. If we sleep really well and we get enough sleep, we tend to feel a lot more productive the next day. Uh, however, that course um, was a major flop because I learned a very valuable lesson, which was don't do just research on the internet. You have to make sure you do research with your audience. Uh, so yeah. I, as I was building my course, uh, I did a lot of research on the internet where I found that people had sleep problems. And I know that sleep was so important for productivity that I created a course around it. But my audience who were reading my blog post wasn't interested in that topic at all. And so you know, when I introduced- why not? I'm, I'm just really curious because we all know that life-work balance is so important, uh, so important in our, you know, mental state, physical state. Why do you think they weren't in, weren't interested in sleeping better? What I have found is, and this is after done a lot of interviews with people afterwards was the people that were reading my blog were a little bit more advanced. Uh, they were a little bit more into productivity than the average person. So they already knew the importance of sleep. So it was very difficult for me to convince them to buy a course on sleep because they already knew the importance of sleep and they were sleeping pretty well generally already. And so there was not a, what those people call a product market fit whatsoever. Even though I thought I had a great course, the market, which is my audience, didn't find it valuable enough because they already had their sleep handled. They already knew about having a sleep hygiene and going to bed on time and making sure you get enough hours every single night. And so uh, it wasn't until I built my second course, which was all about task management, like how to uh -huh. crush your to-do list in, in less time. Uh, that seemed to be a problem or a challenge that a lot of people had. And uh, that seemed to really resonate with my audience. And so when I introduced that course, it did so much better that allowed me <laughs> to go full-time. Wow. And what a great learning, you know, just by offering the course. Yes, you put the energy into creating the course, but you really zeroed in on your target market, which is something, again, is so valuable that we all do in, in any business, in a business that we're running, and, and, you know, business that we are leading a team to try to really be specific. Now, I love the fact that you said, crush your to-do list. <laughs> um, you know, why don't you tell us just a few points for our listeners on how to do that? Because we're all walking around with multiple things on that to-do list and whether we can get it all done. And when we don't, it makes us feel like a failure, etc. Um, can you share that crushing with us? So trying to get everything done on your to do list is a losing game. That's the first thing I always tell people is when you look at your to do list, you probably have like over 15 items on there, sometimes even 100 items on there. I've seen oh some crazy word. to do lists from people. My word. And trying to accomplish everything is a losing game that you'll just never win because uh, it's easy to add something to your to do list, but actually accomplishing it might take so much more time than you have 
available. So for example, I could add to your to-do list, Jody, that you have to do your taxes for 2022. And that might take you 10 seconds to write down, but actually completing the task might take you 10, 15 hours to do. And so imagine having an email inbox as well, where maybe your boss, your client, or someone else will just write to you and say, hey, I need you to do this. It might take them a few seconds to write that to you, but it might take you hours to actually complete that thing. And so trying to win a to-do list game is just not something that anyone can win because Mm -hmm. your to-do list is always growing and expanding. So the way to if we may call it win the game, is to limit the amount of things you focus on every single day. So I have a thing, what I call the rule of three. So every single day, there's only three major things you can accomplish in any given day. So even though your to-do list might have 15 items on there, there's maybe three things on there that are most important. So we have to get really good at identifying what those are and essentially learn the scale of prioritization because not everything is equally important on your to-do list. When everything looks equally important, nothing truly is. Mm. So it's really important for us to be able to say, okay, if my goal, for example, is to become a published author and my... task management or my to-do list app will say, well, here's 15 tasks on there, like taking out the trash, uh, doing your taxes for next year, uh, returning a phone call, uh, writing the first chapter of your book, uh, writing down uh, a headline or title or a list of title uh, ideas that you have. Like these are all important things you must do at some point and some are more urgent than others. But if I think about your goal of becoming a published author, there's only two things on there that really stand out, which is writing down a list of titles for your Mm -hmm. book and then also writing your first chapter. These are most in alignment with what you're trying to accomplish. So I would prioritize those to be higher up the list than other things that are on there, even though they might be important and urgent. We only have so much time in any given day. So I always recommend that if you can identify those key tasks, those three, the rule of three, as I always like to remind people, then let's make sure we start today by focusing on them first before we work on all the other things that need to be done. And that's how we can make the best out of our time. That is a great point. That That's excellent. And you really have to get an understanding of what what those three items are going to be in your life and um and then have the discipline to stick with them because i know that uh, for myself and for other clients they they say oh i have to i have to answer my emails and then they of course get sucked down the email rabbit hole and you know there there goes an hour uh there goes two hours you know somebody sends them something they're off looking at a website so um in order again to get the biggest bang from their buck in their priority items with the limited amount of time they have what would you say about discipline Yeah, discipline is an interesting concept because a lot of people think that they're either born with it or not, or that is something that they have to work around and work with. However, um, after working with so many clients, what I've discovered is we can actually work around it in such a way so that we don't have to rely on discipline to get stuff done. And what I would actually introduce is how can we shape our environment to help us 
succeed in what we're trying to accomplish. So for example, like you just mentioned, email can be in a huge time suck where you read one email and then you go, you know what, I'm going to do that task in particular that was mentioned in the email, do it right away, which sounds like a great idea. However, uh, you could easily lose an hour or two, which then is taken away from the things that you originally planned to do, right? And so a way to work around that is to say, well, if I check email, I'm going to limit myself to only checking email for 15 minutes at a time. So if I set my, uh, a time limit for myself to only check email for 15 minutes, as I'm going through my inbox, I might be noting down or writing down all the things that I need to do, but I won't do them because I only have 15 minutes to go through all of my emails. Mm. And so by setting a time limit, I'm not relying on willpower to do anything. I'm just setting an external boundary to say, hey, you know what? I only have 15 minutes for this. Let me make the most out of the 15 minutes that I have for this email inbox and then write down all the things that need to be done. And then now that you have a list of things that need to be done, we have to then zoom out and say, okay, where does this then fall among the priorities that I already set for myself? So maybe something did come in that might change the priorities for your day. So before you check your email, hopefully what I always recommend is that you have your to-do list figured out and uh -huh. you have accomplish at least one item on there, or at least you have to figure out what your priorities are. But then I know for a lot of people, um, when they check their email, they have to adjust what they do that particular day, because mm -hmm. sometimes we have emergencies, sure. sometimes we have to do things last minute, a client requests something from us that we have to do right away. That's totally fine. But let's just make sure that we reprioritize that and say, okay, based on what I've received in my email, email inbox, I have to reprioritize what I do today. And again, I'm just trying to follow the rule of three. So if there's an emergency in my inbox, I might have to bump it up to number one and whatever was number three might not be something that I do today. Mm -hmm. And so there's always trade-offs that we have to make because time is limited, right? Just like right. our bank account is not unlimited. Uh, <laughs> we have to make trade-offs about how we spend and use our money. And it's the same thing with our time. Right. And, and it sounds like, um, you know, we have to be flexible, <clears throat> pardon me. And, um, you know, if something does need our immediate attention, great, you know, we'll turn our attention to that. And then hopefully, we'll have a little time to get back to doing the, uh, you know, the three items that were important. You know, I would, you know, also um, ask, about our energy levels. Um, what have you found in getting those three important things done? Because, um, you know, I know I'm a morning person, I've got to get things done in the morning, the afternoon, I start fading. So my best and most creative ideas come in the morning. Um, how have you seen that work with your clients, Tan? Yeah, there's a framework that I teach called uh, the T framework, which stands for time, energy, and attention. So when it comes to productivity, they are the three pillars of productivity. So we want to make sure we maximize our time, we maximize our energy, and we maximize our attention, which simply means focusing on the right thing. And when it comes to energy in particular, like I mentioned, sleep is a huge force multiplier for that. So that's the first thing I always try to address with people. 
but like you said too, there is a specific chronotype that most people have. Like you consider yourself a morning person. I am more of a morning person myself too, even though I don't wake up at 5 a.m. like some people do. I tend to wake up around 7 or 7.30. Uh, I, I find that I get my most creative work done in the morning between, let's say, 8.30 and noon or so. However, some people are more night owls where they get their most energy and creative work done later in the day or later in the evening. Uh, and others might be somewhere in between. And there's no one is better than the other chronotype or anything like that. However, uh, the big idea behind it is, and there's the scientific concept called uh, a circadian rhythm. Mm -hmm. What that simply means is that we have internally a 24-hour clock running where we have to go through certain uh, phases of the day where we're more alert and more maybe drowsy or fatigued the other parts of the day. So we're in in any given 24 hours, we have to sleep a certain amount of hours, right? We have to be alert for a certain amount of hours as well so that we can do things that need to be done. And it's a very predictable pattern in any given 24 hours. And in the 24 hours, there are like mini cycles as well called ultradian rhythms, which are 90 minute cycles. And so the idea there behind uh, all of these is that in any given day, there's a very predictable pattern of when we sleep, when we feel alert, when we feel fatigue, and when we feel alertness again. So typically, uh, most people have an afternoon lull, like you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, it's anywhere between one and three o'clock. Um, and we can actually measure this. And uh, once we kind of like track someone's sleep, we can actually see when their circadian rhythm kind of kicks off uh, or ultradian rhythms, I should say. But it's typically after you wake up, it takes about 90 minutes for you to feel like you're actually alert. So uh, I think most of us can relate to this when we open up our eyes, when we're still in bed, we can't just focus right away and do right. our most creative work, right? right. We, it takes a little bit of time to kind of wake up, get ready for the day. And that is like the first 90 minutes of a day where we actually trying to get ourselves ready to focus. And then 90 minutes after you wake up, that's when kind of like the first spike of alertness kind of kicks in where everyone feels very alert. And so uh, that lasts anywhere between 90 minutes to uh, an hour and a half or two or so. And so, like you just mentioned, if you wake up at seven or so, right, you're a morning person, then you typically get your most creative work done about 90 minutes after that when it starts. Yeah. And so at me waking up at 7.30, I tend to get my most creative ideas kind of like kicking off around like nine o'clock or so. And it's a very predictable pattern. And then- we have the afternoon lull, which lasts anywhere from two to three hours. And then we get another burst of energy later in the day. And then we kind of wind down so that we get ready for bed and, and uh, a great night of sleep. So yeah. it's a very predictable pattern. So if you're a night owl, you typically end up waking up much later in the day, which then means that, you know, your spike of alertness kind of kicks off a little bit later as well. Um, but then, you know, we have, you know, kids meetings and other things sure. like pets that might, you know, kind of like uh, derail our ideal plan, if that makes <laughs> right. sense. Um, right. But if we want to take it up a notch and be a little bit more advanced, I would say if you know what kind of chronotype you are, and it's just a self-assessment, you probably already know if you're a morning person or a night owl or somewhere in between, then try to plan your day in such a way so that if you are a morning person, then try to schedule your most creative work to be done in the morning. And if you're a night owl, try to get your most creative work done later in the day. And then everything in between, just do what needs to be done that's typically urgent or is coming up or is due soon because it typically is just 
things you kind of have to do with them, but that might not require a lot of alertness and focus. Um, mm. And that's would be a little bit more an advanced strategy, but uh, everyone has their own predictable pattern. And so once we can align it, it's, uh, it's, it's really powerful. Yeah, and it, it really, again, comes back to awareness of yourself, just to know how you work, to know, hey, you know, um, yes, the morning is, is the best time. Um, I like to wake up fairly early around five and exercise. So again, I'm getting, getting things going, but I'm, you know, doing it in a per, I'm going to say productive manner, but it allows me to wake myself up. So after that hour and a half, two hours after eating something nutritious, I am ready to go. So, um, another, you know, another thing to throw in there, exercise or yoga or meditation, it really sets up your day. Um, you know, I am going to ask something that I, I was reading about you, and that is how do we win five hours back a week. I, I love that and uh, would be really interested in hearing how to do that. I could use five hours. Yeah, there's multiple ways to go about this. So uh, the number one way I recommend that people win back a lot of their time is decluttering their calendar. So mm -hmm. most people I've worked with have, I found that they're overcommitted. So they like the idea of doing a lot of different things or being on a lot of different meetings and feeling like they're involved, but it's oftentimes robbing them of their time that uh, is much more valuable and might be more productive in other areas where they, they could be used or uh, allocated. So for example, if you remove a one hour meeting, you probably end up winning back an hour and a half or two hours. It's not the one hour that you have, it's actually much more. So for example, let's say uh, you have an uh, appointments uh, somewhere that you have to do every single week and it's maybe one hour, right? Um, now, it might not be remote. It might not be something you do on Zoom, but let's say for the sake of it that it is Zoom, just to make it really simple so that it's even remote and in person. So let's say we are recording a podcast or we have a meeting that's allocated one hour and that might take up a whole hour. However, before the meeting starts, we have to do some research. We might have to spend 15 to 30 minutes like going over meeting sure, notes, sure. Uh, prepping for the meeting, right? And then once the meeting is done, we also have to spend like 15 to 30 minutes prepping for the meeting and making sure that there's follow-up action items and like yeah. that other people get communicated with, with what happens and there's a summary and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And so if we take the, the extremes of both, like 30 minutes before and 30 minutes after, that one hour meeting actually costs us two hours in that yeah. sense. That's interesting. And yeah. I, I love how you pointed out meetings because, you know, we're, we're so willing to put these things on our calendar, but we really don't understand. First of all, what you're saying is, um, you know, the energy before and after, but also the attention, you know, going back to an earlier thing you said that it really does take away our attention. Then we've got to kind of get in the game again of our own things and say, all right, where was I? And, and that is two hours. So um, I think, you know, really, really looking at calendar, really looking at meetings and being very judicious about 
scheduling them and, you know, not agreeing to all the meetings that are actually going on in your day. What other things would you look at uh, to just get off the calendar that you yeah, found? So meetings are, yeah. are yeah. one. Uh, yeah. Anything that is off-site, I find mm. very disruptive to productivity. So for example, if I have a lunch with someone, even though that might be great quality time, uh, even if I have to walk maybe one block or five minutes to get there, there's just so much disruption to your daily routine and flow that that one hour lunch meeting could essentially cost you again, two hours or three hours, because mm -hmm. after lunch, we might not feel like we're being very productive, or maybe we feel a little bit sluggish and we're trying to take a little bit of a break and maybe we'll watch some TV or we'll just hang out at the, the lunch break room. Right. Um, so that one hour lunch actually will cost you so much more versus if you didn't have it, but you saved it maybe for after work or on the weekends or some other day later in the week, that's maybe more suitable. Then we send up, we save ourselves a lot of time from that as well. So yeah, cool. anything yeah. offsites, meetings, and then also another way to win back time would be uh, not doing tasks that you don't have to do. Now, this sounds so simple. Like, of course, if we only want to do things that we are supposed to do, but oftentimes I find people doing things that one day could either delegate to somebody or they shouldn't be doing it in the first place, which is all the idea behind attention. We only want to do things we are supposed to be doing. And so if we are being honest and we look at our to-do list, there are a lot of things, especially if you're in a management position, you could probably delegate to somebody to do. So you, yeah. you don't have to do it. Uh, but the other thing is there might be things on there that uh, you don't maybe enjoy doing, but someone else does. So how can we delegate that as well? It's not about just you know handing it off to somebody else to do it, but also let's look at our self-awareness around what we are good at and what we're not good at, or maybe what we enjoy and what we don't enjoy. And if we have the possibility to hand it off to somebody else that maybe does enjoy it, or is maybe better at it than you are, let's go ahead and do that as well. Yeah, good point. And you know, there's always um, VAs, uh, virtual assistants that can do pieces of your work that, <clears throat> you know, don't require the higher level skills that you bring to it. So that's a good point. Again, looking at your your 100 plus to-do list items and really <laughs> figuring out, um, wow, do I, do I really need to do this? Can somebody else do this? And letting go some of those micromanagement tendencies that we all have that I need to do everything. So that is a great point. Um, you know, um, just one more thing, Tan, um, just looking at three life hacks, um, that you can recommend. I was, uh, reading, reading that and became very curious of highly productive people stepping away from the seven effective, <laughs> you know, habits of highly productive people, the book that came out by Steve Covey. What would you say are the three? Now, when someone studies productivity or they're looking to become more productive, there are a lot of habits that people will recommend to you that you do. And it can be quite overwhelming, to be honest, because 
There are literally hundreds of habits that you can pick up from meditation to doing one thing at a time, to having a morning routine, to uh, organizing your desk every single morning, to making sure you're removing clutter every every time you walk by a, a place. Like there's just so many habits that you can pick <laughs> up and all right. of them are great. However, uh, there are a few habits that I found personally working for me, but also the thousands of clients that I work with that consistently allow people to really set themselves up to have great productive days. So the first one is no matter if you're a morning person or a night owl or somewhere in between, the way you start your day sets the tone for the rest of the day. So if we have a great startup routine, as I like to call it, or a rise ritual, that allows us to kind of set ourselves up to have a really good productive day. And uh, I had an incident where I remember this many years ago. I was uh, reading uh, an email after I woke up and I grabbed my phone. I was opening up my email inbox and I didn't even read the whole email. I just read the subject line and my brain just immediately went into emergency mode. And all I could think about is, oh, like now I have to do this. I have to do that. So I can't believe I got this email. And I didn't even read the whole email. I only read the subject line. And that alone, that two second window of me reading the subject line threw off my whole morning. And I essentially lost like two or three hours of product productivity because I read the subject line right after I woke up. And that's something that is so innocent in itself, but can sure. change the trajectory for your whole morning, if not the whole day. And so if we can have boundaries in place where we set ourselves up to have a productive day and the way we start our day, if we start our day right every single morning feeling really good about ourselves, we're very clear about what needs to be accomplished and we're, we're feeling very confident on how we're going to accomplish it, then you will be so much more productive than oh, yeah. other people who don't show up, right? Like if you show up to the office every single day feeling energetic and excited, sure. you're going to be a lot more productive than the person that walks in feeling, oh, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do today or if I'm going to get stuff done. Like it's just an attitude thing. Yeah, like, so and you're, you have uh, so much more clarity when you're grounded, focused, and knowing what your first steps are going to be in when you sit down um exactly what, yeah what's what's the other two i'm curious so the other one is the complete opposite of that one which is what i call a shutdown routine which is how do we make sure we end our day in the best way possible so that we feel great and go to bed feeling completely relaxed and set ourselves up for a great night of sleep so sleep like i mentioned is a force multiplier for productivity but we tend to not be aware of how we can get great sleep every single night. Um, it's not necessarily about going to bed earlier, although that will help because the more you sleep, the more energetic you'll feel. But our sleep quality matters as well. And the way we can influence that is by determining what we do with the last 90 minutes of our day. Mm -hmm. So if we have a great routine for the last 90 minutes of our day, where ideally we don't have any screen time, I don't mm -hmm. recommend any laptop TVs or phone usage the last 90 minutes of the day. And then the other thing is I would always journal. And that's something I recommend everyone does is we want to empty our heads as much as possible so that we don't go to bed feeling like, Oh, I need to call back Jody. Oh, I need to do this particular thing. Mm -hmm. I need to go to the dentist tomorrow. Uh, if we kind of know what needs to be done by emptying our head as much as possible and journaling is a great way of doing that, 
then it's an easy way to transition to falling asleep. Like if we've, if you've ever tried going to bed early, like an hour earlier and you lay down, you go, oh my gosh, my mind is just racing. It's going hundred miles an hour. And it's because we just didn't have this process in place where we clear our heads before we actually lay down. Yeah, that so that's something I would recommend. Yeah, that's a great suggestion. Really just, just clear it and be fully relaxed because quality of sleep is just as important as quantity. And exactly. what is number three? So number three is to do only things one at a time. So you only want to work on one task one at a time. So I want to kill this idea that multitasking is a great thing. It's not. <laughs> Our brain is literally designed to only be able to focus on one thing at a time. When we try to do multitasking, it's actually what happens in a brain is what's called single tasking or switch tasking, where it will go from one focus to another, but it will switch back and forth very quickly. And it's very draining on the brain. It actually costs a lot of energy, but also we tend to make a lot more mistakes when we are focusing on multiple things at the same time. It's, it's the reason when we drive and text at the same time that accident mm -hmm. rates go up because mm -hmm. our brain just can't process multiple things at the same time. It can only do one thing really well. So if we want to get the most out of our brain power, we have to start focusing on doing just one thing at a time. And it can be quite difficult to do that because it might feel a little bit challenging, mm -hmm. but it's like a muscle. The more you do it, even if it's just for 15 minutes at a time, you'll start to develop the skill where you can focus on one thing at a time. And you oftentimes find yourself getting stuff done faster. The quality is better. You're a lot more creative and you feel a lot more accomplished, which gives you the momentum to move forward as well. Yeah. And, and you're a lot less stressed in in an environment where you get something done you feel good about yourself you get to the next thing versus having two or three things going on at the same time that that causes quite a bit of uh, tension in your system and in your day so that that is a gem that's that's a great thing well tan how can people get a hold of you well, they can go to asianefficiency.com. I have over 500 blog posts on there that I've written over the years that people can read for free. Uh, I also have an email newsletter that people can sign up on there. But also, uh, if you're a podcast listener, I have a podcast called The Productivity Show, where you can tune in every single week where we share productivity tips. And uh, that's something I do every single week, which I'm very happy and passionate about. Uh, so those are all the free resources that I can give to people. And wow. you can also find contact details for me there. That's great. Thank you. That's very generous. Great. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to be on this podcast um, and really giving our listeners some, some really great tools and things to think about to make their day more productive, their day less stressful, their nights more restful. I really, uh, really found them useful. So thank you. Thank you for having me, Jody. Oh, my pleasure. I'm so grateful that you've listened to the end of this podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review it, and share it with your friends. I love teaching insights so that you can have a more impactful and meaningful life. It's my mission to build a thriving community of happy, fulfilled people. Want more? Visit my website at yourspectacularlife.com.